Welcome to My Crime Book Show. These with Dobson and Pat. Today we discuss what is a good life. Now, I, this idea came to me in a what is the good life or what is a good life. Um, in our recent discussions, discussions with Rick Story, we discussed things like mental illness, we discussed selfishness, um, and really a lot of the concepts of you know what is mental illness what is mental health what is selfishness what is not selfishness really i think all um depend upon a conception of what uh, a good or the good life is and that's really sort of the yardstick that we are using to measure whether or not um uh, these actually these sort of dispositions or behaviors are a good or a bad thing uh, it also relates to the idea of um, we discussed as well recently um, free speech. Is free speech part of a good life? However, we understand that uh, right ruminations uh, would consider sort of free speech necessary as a way of um, developing oneself as an individual. So, uh, being able to say what one thinks and sort of cultivating your own view of the world is part of maturing and as part of a a good life. So. Um, Clearly, the idea that people should be able to say what they they like and and be able to use this as a way of, sort of personal um, development would be something to say right ruminations uh, would support. So, uh, and I do think it's in many questions in general that you know politically, um, socially, or whatever really comes down to you know what do you think the good life is, and then that's going to guide how you. Uh, what policy you support, what kind of actions you undertake. So I thought this might be an interesting uh, area to discuss. So, Tim, uh, how would you understand the good life? Well, rather than trying to abstractly lay it out, I'll just start out what a might, might, might look like. My ideal life or good life would probably be something like um, historical travel or something like that. Um, in the nature of visiting ancient places, Egypt, Corinth, uh, Japan, uh, that would be something like I would I would like this. That would be you know if I could do it um, um, do it all the time. There's always a question if you do something every day. This is sort of like the Groundhog Day movie. Um, would you grow sick of it? Um, is it just because you do it you know one month a year out of twelve that makes it interesting? Um, but I'm not exactly sure. You know there's there's you know there are historical people who do get to do effectively that, and they seem to live pretty interesting, pretty good lives, so to speak. Um, um, that would be my rough, you know, uh, uh, sort of first-person like uh, experience of what a good life would look like. Um, you know, I could also say research into obscure topics would also be of interest to me. Um, that would be an interest. That would be. I, I would say people who do this are like Scott Horton, Graham Hancock, Rupert Sheldrake. Nassim Taleb, Whitney Webb, those are people, and again, I don't agree with Nassim Taleb's view on pandemics at all, at all, I'm going to state that, I don't agree with Glenn Greenwald on everything either, or Scott Horton, or Graham Hancock, but I would say those are people who get to research things into obscure topics, um, that would be something I would interest, I think a lot of like old, um, you know, Protestant theologians and certain obscure Catholic ones are also live to me what is a good life, I get to research into topics and write essays and stuff like that. Uh, that would be something. Jimmy Dore as well, another person I think who does interesting things. Joe Rogan, those are people I think who 
rather than abstractly laying out, those are some people, I think, who live, uh, so to speak, good lives here. Um, now, I think work is an element of a good life. Tyler Cowen, who I know has his limitations, has a great essay, uh, Hayek lecture on this, and he says that, that people who don't work, um, you know, the, the, the statistics on this are somewhat dubious. They tend to be less happy. Um, now, you can you always say, what does happiness mean? What do these happiness statistics mean? And again, you can always go in. But I think, you know, generally it is, is, it is roughly true. Speaking of wealthy people who get to sort of live out a UBI life, there was a house I visited in Indiana, sort of a Greco-Roman type wannabe house. It wasn't ever a plantation house. He was the son of a railroad financier type. And um, he basically spent his whole life tending the gardens of his father or grandfather's estate. And he actually did all the work himself. He did, he did a good portion of the work himself. Not all of it. Um, he needed to hire some people. But for the most part, he did it basically by himself. And he made very nice gardens. They were massive. Now, and some, speaking of public goods, some of them eventually got turned into local parks and things like that. So so you could argue it's sort of public good. Um um, he thought the local gardeners didn't care enough to do a very good job. Speaking of work, people attack Trump because his father gave him roughly a million dollars or equivalent million dollars to start his business. Um, and he, and if he put it in a mutual fund rather than becoming a real estate and entertainment mogul, he'd be better off. He probably also lost money running for office, too. It's never a funny thing, unlike Nancy Pelosi. Um, but um, he... There's never a person who, quote-unquote, worked rather than just putting his money in a mutual fund. Tim Dillon made a comment, which I think is also true. During the pandemic, many people thought, like, well, people don't have to work their crappy jobs, so they're going to go do community gardens and go do other things and, like, start build vibrant communities. Instead, they just basically watch Netflix all day. So I know there's a lot of criticism of corporations and, you know, various other institutions that are made by right-wing like sort of paleo right-wing people as well as plenty of left-wing people but like i think tim dillon is right that like maybe minimum wage jobs suck but like it's not clear that these people would go out and form vibrant communities necessarily if they did maybe they do maybe they would i do think there is vibrant communities underneath skateboarding culture parkour culture things like that although lockdown although they were in opposition to lockdowns by the way uh uh basically after a few months you know um and demonstrates like baseball culture, soccer culture, things like that. So there are certain areas where, but I do think, I do think activities of some variety, including reading, um, that's an activity too, uh, would be some sort of a work has to be in, into it. Um, that would be my rough outline of what it is, rather than abstractly lay it out. Um, what would it, how about you for, what would need ideal life look like for use with, and what do you make of my opening comments on, uh, and listing some people that, uh, Glenn Greenwald, Nassim Taleb, Rupert Sheldrick, Graham Hancock. Those are some people I think, I don't agree with everything they say, but that would be some people I think who live a good life or live a good enough life. I don't know them uh, well enough to possibly comment whether they overall have a good life, but the idea of sort of uh, doing your own study into um, various different areas um, does is, is one that certainly appeals to me. Um, with your point on, on work, um, of being necessary in, in a good life. I, um, in an old uh, class I had, I, I asked them, okay, let's suppose you became a billionaire. What would you do with your time? Um, and the conclusion was that you always end up doing something. Um, that something 
needs to be active in a certain way. It can't just be um, passive, such as just simply sort of reading for pleasure or just watching films or TV, watching Netflix, for instance. You'd have to do something. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't turn that sort of thing into something interesting. Uh, well, sorry, uh, something more, I mean, interesting is right. I mean, um, more sort of purposeful in that, well, you could you could watch lots of films and you could produce lots of um, videos and what you thought was good or bad about it. And then I could see somebody thinking, finding value in that and creating a following on on YouTube. I think that's um, perfectly possible and that would seem to be somewhat fulfilling in certain ways. Um, but it would need to have some form of... Um, I think sort of creativity of certain description, even like the the terrible sort of low wage jobs in the way you are being creative in a sense, you are creating value for customers. It has a, it kind of makes sense in that respect. But when you're not engaging in a transaction to try to um, produce essentially for somebody else, you're essentially producing for yourself. Um, you You need to sort of have an internal measure that what you're doing is valuable in a certain way. And I think that, it seems to be from thinking about it re- related to some level of creativity of doing something. So it'd be that the garden or, or whatever. So when it comes to my ideal life, I mean, I think it would come similar to yours. Uh, I, I had, I had the idea, you know, if I was, if I was like a multi-billionaire and had my own house and have my own chef and stuff, you know, what would I do all day? And so I've, I've got like, um, I, I did actually, I won't bore you with it. I did actually create myself a general timetable of how I would live because I'm kind of strange like that. Um, and so my day would basically consist of, you know, doing some gym stuff. Um, I would have a chapel in my house. And so you could go and do sort of go chapel for a short period of time, three times a day, um, study periods of a couple of hours in the morning, in the afternoon, um, go out for a local walk, see the local countryside or the estate to get out of the house and just be away from. Now, clearly it's not nature in its unimproved state, um, you know, but it's it's more natural than, as it were, the inside is in a certain way. And then I'd want to be involved and I'd do maybe some swimming, some sports, maybe military training, the various things, shooting in the afternoon, then have some food and then, you know, do some more study podcasts or whatever in the, even, in the early evening. And then you can, then I could just engage in what you might consider recreation in the evening after after dinner. And that would be my sort of like general timetable, that kind of general timetable for day, because I thought, well, it mixed up physical activity uh, with study and also sort of what we might consider fun stuff uh, as well. Not that I don't think study is fun in a certain way, but it's not fun in the same way as sitting down and watching a film is, if that makes sense. So uh, that's what that's what I would uh, that's what I would do. Um, although um, what uh, I I I would I would note here is. I always had the idea that what I need, I should have done, should do, is be get married and have kids, and I always thought that that was uh, part of um, what a good life would be, and that's kind of somewhat ignored um, on this sort of outline here. Um, and then the question then arises related to that is, um, if everybody did what they thought their ideal life would be. Then the interesting question is how socially, uh, how good would this be on sort of a social level? Um, so, for instance, um, the I one of the one of the main reasons why, for instance, you have such low birth rates 
is because, uh, for right or wrongly, women have the conception that well, what they need to do is either the children are constraining and bad and so they can't do what they want to do, um, just recreationally, or that um, they um, they can't ascend the career ladder. And so therefore, having too many children is going to be a bad thing. Um, oh, of, of, of course, and especially white women are inculcated with the idea that, uh, you know, uh, ch- well, white children are bad for climate change, so we can't have any of those. Um, but clearly, uh, on a long-term level, that's kind of not a good thing, uh, because even if there was no welfare state or whatever, if you had a lot of people who basically couldn't work, um, a lot of funds that they invested in or whatever probably wouldn't return that much from them because there's not proportionate on that many people working on them because they're in retirement. Uh, assuming, of course, they've retired, because, of course, they might not be. Um, but having a very sort of age-heavy, top-heavy population doesn't seem ideal for sort of perpetuating the the group, as it were, uh, into the future. So, Tim, uh, what do you think about uh, people's ideal lives and how that relates to sort of uh, that which would be um, socially uh, advantageous? What do you mean by socially advantageous? If you could just grab this to that question. Um, so, as, as in, um, suppose every apart from a situation where you have uh, like post-scarcity and automation of absolutely everything, I don't see how a society would function particularly well if all that people did was read and investigate historical uh, monuments abroad and write. Uh, I don't see how the whole of society would particularly function particularly well it seems like that's something that could only be done by a select few individuals. And if it was done by a lot more people, then it would only only could only could occur due to massive technological development. Well, I think there's a sort of theological question in there, like is the post-scarcity society like the Garden of Eden? Um, and that's in a sense, in a sense, that's a kind of true statement. I mean, work is a kind of a curse here. Um, so I, so I guess I have to get away from the Kantian framework here. Like, can you imagine, I don't know if Kant actually stated this, but like, this is what my rough understanding is. Can you imagine this is the sort of imperative here? Can everyone live like that? Well, no, not everyone can live like that. Um, but then that goes, the question is like human heterogeneity. Are there different types of people who have different goals? Well, I guess people create new monuments and new histories and new events. And that's one thing, uh, you know, uh, people could create like, there's new, like there's the Lincoln Monument, and actually many of the people who created the Lincoln Monument, their basic goal is to, like, you know, they, they sort of want to create something that, you know, so people can remember the United States in two thousand years from now, uh, the swamp by the uh, Potomac, um, um, so there is that, there is that goal to create new stuff, uh, new artworks, um, that would be another thing. Uh, the reason I, the re- I, like I for myself don't have much of a knack for creating. Uh, a narrative fiction uh, myself. So I, I think there was a room for other people to create new works of art, new films, new stuff like that, uh, new uh, all sorts of content here. But I myself don't have that uh, or, or or I haven't cultivated that into a, 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 a talent of myself here. Uh, uh, so that would be something. And then, 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 future generations could. I do think the fact that people don't have children does in general pose a problem here. 
Um, but I, I, I basically ever since I read the fundamentalist shall inherit in the earth, I don't really worry about that because you know, since sometimes that's a black pill book and sometimes that's a white pill book. Um, I mean, you could just say that certain areas will just be known as uh, post Mennonite areas. In a sense, the United States, you know, far from being like a, uh, you know, it's just you know, it's just a collection of like whoever a hundred years ago had the most children. At that time, it was, you know, uh, Southern England and Scots-Irish descendants here. That's roughly, I think, the makeup of in certain German, German, Germanic areas here. That's uh, so, so, you know, whoever, so, so I do think the fact that people don't have children, but those, those people will just die out. I think Japan is going to go through a giant funneling operation. It's going to go down to like 80 million. Um, but the people who survive there, they'll be all very much more pronatal. Um, so, uh, or they'll just collapse off the map, so to speak. That's another option here. Um, um, but then that, that that goes back to like the scarcity. That goes back to the scarcity claim. Um, 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 so I I do think the I do think people will be better. But many people will be better off if they have children here. I, I, I we did an episode why do people have, I forget but don't have or you know have children. I didn't really lay out good reasons why I don't have it. I mean I guess I guess the real reason is that it goes in order to have children you have to be sort of economically secure in a way that I'm not 100% economically and socially secure, or I have the will to become that, too. Um, um, you know, the will to become that uh, in that sense here. The, interestingly, the people I listed who are living a good life, although Graham Hancock has lots of children. Um, this, uh, so, so, so that's, that's good. Um, <laughs> Graham Hancock's following the, uh, the motive here. Whitney Webb has children um, of the people I listed. Uh, Glenn Greenwell, I won't mention him. Although he has adopted children, he's gay married, but he has adopted children. Um, uh, let me think about the other ones. Asim Taleb, I think he does. He he's very reclusive, which is fine. Um, um, so the people I listed, I think that they're probably their average fertility level is like two point eight, I would say roughly, which is above replacement level. Um, if if the West had that, I think all a lot of the problems would be basically go away. Uh, a lot of the sort of uh, if if like the 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 the, the if, if the British British population had that or the American American population had that, I think everything would be basically, uh, you know, fine. And I think that will probably eventually come back or come back to certain groups. I think Utah has that. So I do think having children, but this goes back to the father's problem. There seems to be a I, I read about there's a book there's a culture contradictions of fatherhood, and I say I do think there is a cultural contradiction between, you know, what, like, to be a successful person in the secular or theological world, religious world as well. Like, and that's why the Catholics, I think, have a sort of insight in keeping them celibate, Paul. Uh, whether that, that should be true, I know in the book of Timothy it says otherwise, but um, um, there is sort of a contradiction between being a, a, a involved father and a successful somebody in whatever domain. So that would be my thing about be my thing about children. If you that, that's that's what you asked. I mean, and as far as the other comment, create new stuff. I wouldn't create new stuff, but I think plenty of people do, and would create new stuff. In a sense, what I'm doing here is analysis, which is a sense creating new stuff, because a lot of sort of speak new philosophy books, are just are just building upon old stuff, uh, so to speak. You know, it's like, like I think Socrates still has written a fairly good treatise. And I think Plato has still written a fairly good treatise. I've yet to see people like, I mean, David Friedman sort of makes a joke about that. 
uh, we still read Aristotle, we still read Socrates. But I think basically certain aspects of ethics, I mean, you can you can prove them, you can argue against them, but the basic frameworks laid out, um, and uh, uh, it, it, you can you know you, you go this way, you go that way, uh, you can update them, you can sort of totally reject them. But by but in the sense of rejection, that'd be my that'd be that'd be my claim. In that sense, academics do kind of intellectual travel, uh, just into different periods here. Uh, so that'd be my comments. So then, what would you make of my comments? I think um, it's true that um, the sort of academics as word intellectual travel, um, and you are right. Different people would do different things, um, um, and so some people are more artistic. So I, I, I do think, to some extent, if people follow what they wanted to do, that 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 could be sort of socially um, cohesive. Um, and uh, yes, the fundamentalist shall inherit the earth thing with. Um, uh, population uh, is, is probably sort of the ultimate white pill when it comes to current demographic situations. Um, although that said, one question would be what the average IQ of the fundamentalist net, uh, or the, the, in this case, probably most uh, relevant is sort of like the genetically predisposed to having a reasonable number of children. Um, because if the um, genetic pre, those who are genetically predisposed to having children's IQ is an average somewhat lower, then the prospects for society going forward will be clearly worse. Um, but with children, um, and, and sort of back to marriage, as it were, I asked my wife what she thought the ideal uh, life would be. And the first thing she said was, oh, you need to be married, have a husband. Uh, and I do think it would be the, the concepts of what a good life is from men and women would be somewhat different. Um, and probably involve, uh, probably would more involve children, uh, than it would, uh, for men. Um, even me, you know, I said I wanted to have children, I have four, um, and I'm involved with them in certain ways, but no one here is involved than my wife is. And I wouldn't really want to be massively more involved than I am in a way. Um, so, um, men and women, I think have sort of complementary uh, concepts, which, of course, in such a marriage and stuff, do sort of intertwine and are sort of harmonious in that respect. Um, but what, another question I was going to ask, though, here is this. Uh, with our concepts of the ideal life, we've both outlined, uh, me sort of slightly more than you have. Uh, one interesting question comes to sort of social relations. Um, would you want to just do this on your own? So investigation should have like be uh, uh, the sort of an individual traveling or um, investigating the world. Um, but or would you want to have, well, it's going to sound strange, would you want to have friends, family? What would um, the sort of ideal social um, parameters be within sort of like the ideal um, or the good life? Uh, so, for instance, certain sort of more trad types uh, seem to um, very much uh, support like the intergenerational household. Uh, where when the intergenerational household being one with you know three generations grandparents um, children and grandchildren together um, because this is somehow good for uh, sort of I'm not sure, well one you would know your grandparents and they would know you well if you were the grandchildren uh, and somehow this would be uh, a good sort of model of that you would have to interact with people of different a a ages because it is true today that uh, society is very age segregated to a large extent 
whether it was like that historically is another question, uh, but probably more so, especially with schools uh, today. So I, I can see that to some extent. And then also as well, um, a lot of the trad criticism of technology in which well, you can basically go around your daily life and not see anybody and still function perfectly well. When I say function here, I mean, you know, you'll be able to uh, earn enough, the lights will stay on and you can continue existing in a relatively pleasant uh, manner. So how do you think sort of family and friends um, would be, um, would impact your sort of concept of an ideal or good life? So with respect to the family aspect of the question here, and we discussed this with, with Rick's story in episode seven or so, um, I forget the exact uh, episode number, but I would say that the families are over. I wouldn't say they are overrated, but I do think families come with with problems. And actually, one of the reasons people initially form friends is they get tired of seeing their families. So I think there is. I mean, the first murder, if you're if you take the Christian view seriously, which to some extent I do, um, uh, is the first murder is between brothers. So you know, brother is always a double edged sword. I can, as a person with a brother, I can see why um, people do that. Uh, I can see that you know why. I mean, so you know, and actually. You know, uh, I think Neil, one of Neil Ferguson's comments on the Brexit thing is that the, the number one cause of divorce, and he made it, is is marriage. So you know, marriage is marriage also, and families also come with uh, uh, problems as well. It's not just all, it's not just all, uh, 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 unintended good, so to speak. Here, I would say, um, um, and actually, you know, there is the lie that you must hate your sister, mother, brother. I don't know if it says spouse, but um, um, you, you must hate them too. So I do, I do think that on in that context, family. But that's also true of friends here, and one of the differences of friends is that you don't see them as much because you don't live with them, um, and by not living with them, you sort of away from the uh, the 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 firsthand problem nature of it. Um, here, you know, if I if I would be forced to live with my friends full time, I don't know. So would would a solitary life be better here? You know, go off Henry David Thoreau, live in, or or for that matter, Ted Kaczynski, live in the cabin in the woods. Would that be an ideal life? I think in both instances, Ted Kaczynski and Henry David Thoreau, when they did live off in the woods, were living, from most cultural viewpoints, a relatively good life. Like I mean, I I know I I know that sounds verboten to say here, and it is somewhat verboten to say, but I do I do think if, if that's what being a hermit is. Then like that's pretty good. Like you know, you, you can disagree with Ted Kaczynski's writings, um, but like like if that's being a hermit, that's pretty good. Um, so solitary versus living with lots of people, I think both have both have virtues uh, uh, from whatever framework your ethical or moral framework you're attacking. Basically, I mean, unless, unless you take a viewpoint that only seeing people only community is good, which but I, I think communities come with problems here. Um, um, and I, I don't think they get fully fleshed out. So in this way, I remain something of an individualist here. So if you want to go back to like, why haven't I gotten, have children yet? It's like, to me, that they, they come with, um, they are, they are sort of, so to speak, more work here than, um, is manufactured. Although maybe I should take my argument about work seriously and say that work is good. So therefore, uh, having them is also good and would be, you know, in a matter of fact way, it will make you better off here. Um, as far as to like, why don't I create things here? Uh, well, partly is I don't find 
um, the current existing world to be that interesting. I mean, well, I find certain aspects of the world interesting. Uh, I mean, I do think the material progress is interesting. Um, you know, the you know faster airplanes, faster cars, faster things like that. But in certain ways, uh, a lot of the older buildings, I would say, are just more. Uh, maybe maybe the the Mormon temples are interesting, but like a lot of newer buildings, other than being really tall, like the Burj Khalif, I don't really think they might look nice, and inside they might be very utilitarian. Uh, and this is sort of like matter of fact answering the second half of your previous question here. But as far as social relations are concerned, uh, I would think, I think friends and family are useful. Uh, I think they're probably good, but this goes back to the heterogeneity point. Some people might not be cut out for uh, lots of family life, so to speak. Uh, uh, it is, I do, I, I would say that, that you must hate your blah, blah, blah is an interesting line, which doesn't always get taken seriously here. And also for the left communitarians, the left Christians, that's also, that, that has to be stressed for them too. Um, um, so that, that would be my, that would be my, that would be my comment back to you on to, I, I think we did an episode on is our children overrated? I, you know, without children, we don't have a future civilization here. So I do think in that sense, they're underrated. Um, but it, it goes sort of a bet, it sort of asks the question of like, you know, why does anyone have more children here? Uh, which we, we, we did that already. So Smith, what would you make of my comments? And what, why do you think, do you think people who don't have children or are hermits are living a good life? I mean, I brought up an example of Ted Kaczynski. Maybe I should take my comments about Tim Dillon more seriously there. But I do think there are plenty of people who are don't have many friends. I don't think many great intellectuals I think Nietzsche, for example, didn't have many friends. Um, um, from my understanding, he basically lived a fairly solitary life. There's plenty of authors who fit the stereotype of being basically, you know, social losers in a lot of ways. Uh, very uh, hard to be around. Uh, I think Oral was this way too. Um, now you could dis disagree with certain aspects of them, but like they did great, they produced great works. But I don't know if I would have like you know be their, their sons or daughters for that matter, uh, or for that matter, friends. That'd be Mike. That would be my comment there. Well, you are right. Um, the genius type, uh, does tend to be somewhat socially, uh, inept, um, from, um, Ed Dutton's work, uh, outlier, high IQ, moderate disagreeableness, um, on two, two facts of it. So, um, yeah, they're, they're not going to be great to be around. Although what I would ask, one of the interesting questions would be was what was their upbringing like? Were they brought up in a sort of a, a good sort of um, family existence as a child, uh, even if they themselves are somewhat disagreeable and somewhat socially inept? Um, because the question would be if they had had a particularly bad childhood, would they have been able to have functioned as well as they did do in uh, later life is, is, is an interesting question. And I would also agree that especially men, um, some of them would be more cut out not having many friends and like being recluses, essentially. Um, I also think th uh, that women are almost entirely the opposite and would not want that. Um, although what I do think is that I think that many people, uh, if you ask them and they reflected on uh, their life and what they did and who they saw and how they spent their time, 
Um, I think uh, many of them would say that they would like more friends uh, and or, or or better friends and see and be able to see their family more. I mean, as you said, it's demonstrated preference, but the idea, you know, that the businessman who worked all his hours and is like in his deathbed, what would he like to have done? Spent more time with his children, uh, for instance. Well, you could argue that we demonstrated he didn't because he worked more. Fine, uh, but I, I do tend to think that uh, people make decisions which put them in places whereby they can entirely lose their social network. And then it's actually very difficult to start building it again, and then it becomes sort of more isolated. Um, as Matthias Desmond, as you may have come across from the idea of mass formation, he used it in the context of uh, the response of various people to, well, lots of most people to uh, coronavirus, was that most people have like a generalized anxiety, um, and um, and that's the most, well, not most people, but that's the most prevalent mental illness, or whatever mental illness is, which is defined as such by some medical people. Um, and this seems to be very much associated with uh, industrialized, industrialized and post-industrialized countries. Uh, and I would suspect probably because people don't have a place in the world. They do not see themselves as having a particular place in the world and in which they have agency. I mean, this is what Ted, one of the reasons Ted Zinsky dislikes industrial civilization is that uh, it, it seems impersonal and you can't see how it works. And it's just a, this, these sort of forces are acting upon you, um, w- which seems less like less to be the case if you have like an agrarian society where the fate is in more in your own hands in a certain way. Um, so I, I, I do think that a lot of people would prefer to see their friends more. Uh, family, I mean, to some extent, I mean, um, I wouldn't, I don't think the idea of um, uh, the intergenerational household, it would be annoying living with my parents. It definitely would be. I very much think sort of like uh, the nuclear household uh, is probably the best with children and parents and the children leave. Um, you could argue that's more individualist, which I suppose it is. But I think well, it's, it's what I would prefer and I, I do prefer. Although that said, it would be more ideal if, if I lived close to my parents as well as my wife's parents, because that means we could see them more, but we have to live with them. And also it would work so the children could also see them as well. That would be a better um, social uh, arrangement than we currently have, but we, it's not too bad as it, as it is. Uh, but related to that, you know, people just going to take jobs in different parts of the country and then basically sort of like separated from the rest of their social circle. When it comes to um, living with uh, friends, I mean, I did it at university. It worked okay. Uh, you do get some disagreements. I think this is where marriage is kind of better for living together because you tend to uh, have a more of a, a more of a shared vision of what we should do, and so there's less sort of um, disputes of how the household should be run than it would be if you had a group of friends together. Obviously, you have more people together, there's more people to please, which is more difficult. Uh, but with what we've living with friends, this reminds me actually of um, something I listened to on Anselm, uh, the Christian theologian who was a monk. And um, it seemed to be that he very much liked being a monk, uh, not because he liked being on his own, but he had very, very strong close friendships with the other monks. Uh, now, obviously, this kind of like single sex um, existence uh, in a monastery is clearly not nearly as prevalent, or at least not as proportionate to the population as it used to be. Um, but in those sorts of scenarios, that does seem to be what people like, some people like to do. Um, 
I would. I don't know if male monks were more common than um, sisters in convents. Uh, again, I think it's possibly more a male, uh, a male thing. But 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 living together with friends, as it were, I suppose you, they're not really your friends, but they kind of become your friends. Although I suppose that might be one of the appeals of it that um, it isn't your friends. Everyone has to abide by a particular regular regime and stuff, and so that all those things that might cause. Um, uh, issues in a more domestic situation are avoided. Um, so um, I, I, I do think uh, most people would, I mean, so, so for example, just be friends in general. I mean, a lot of people, one, one thing they they like very much to do is to talk about something that they like with somebody else who also likes that topic. Uh, I've never known anybody who liked an area who didn't like talking to someone who also liked it there's kind of a sharing that takes place in enjoyment of things and it kind of increases the value in doing the action um so um i i, I do think and not just for women i mean if i do think it is more important for them uh, with social relations that um taking that kind of thing into account is um is 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 relevant when it comes to um uh the good life just a historical note where i forget and it's a bit scattered um the idea that sort of like the intergenerational household was the norm certainly wasn't true in most of europe uh in the middle ages uh up until the industrial revolution it may have persisted in the mediterranean the further south it was the the case but um in mid middle and like northern europe it wasn't. They were mostly nuclear households. The only exceptions were the aristocratic houses, where they'd have multiple generations. That's because the son would take over from his father when he died on the estate. So it would make sense to keep them all together. Um, that was also largely true also in the south of uh, Europe as well. Um, but um, isn't... Um, but I don't think it was as prominent as it was in North, at least from, not, from what, what, what I've read. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I do think increasing, improving sort of social relations is relevant in a good life. And I do think that people in general would like to have more friends or spend more time with family. Although, as I say, I, I don't think they would typically want to live with them necessarily. I, I would say demonstrated preference here kicks in. Um, and I think I think the the fact that people don't always spend as much time with their families is a sort of relevant fact. I mean, I'll say the anti-social thing here. Like, like I mean, I've traveled with friends and family. Uh, and like, so for example, I know my brother doesn't listen to this, but like I've, I spent 10 days in Egypt and with him. And I was like, after those 10 days I was up, I was glad to be away from him. And also, I was first friends, I've done similar things. And like, I was glad to be away from, like that. at that point I had enough, time in uh, you know so in that sense in that sense that sounds anti-social here um and, um but like uh in that sense the spending less time it, it, it's over there and now you no longer have to be you know because there's certain problems that develop um which sort of uh you know you either have to come to a resolution or you just get bored that's another thing here uh you know so there is a certain novelty here where you have discussed different things with different people, but you reach a point, you understand their views, and you can sort of try to change their views, but if they don't change their views, or, or unless you don't have similar or compatible views, uh, at some point, it's like, what what are you exactly talking about here? What's the purpose of, of being around each other other than just to, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this goes back to sort of 
like sort of micro Hobbesian framework here. Well, you need you need allies here. Like like I would argue the first time speaking of mass schooling here, first time I had genuine friends was after college, in the sense that I didn't have friends merely because because I did not want to be made fun of at, at lunch by sitting alone here. Um, but I never really actually liked talking to them. But I just realized that it would be worse off. Um, if he didn't do that here. So there's some sort of Freudian psychology within within me here. So so there is a similar context, I think, that sort of occurs with families too, um, in the sense that there's sort of your first group of, and that's really one of the arguments of having more children instead of just having one or two, is you have more, quote unquote, friends to choose from. But you have to have at least four, if not like six or seven, um, to sort of make that more viable here. Uh, 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 so I would say there's a sort of anti-social thing because there are, you know, if you have a ranking here and sometimes my nephew would cheesingly ask like, you know, if there's a, if, the, if all your family was drowning in front of you, who would you save first here? Or if all your friends were drowning in front of you, who would you save first here? And you could say, oh, this is a lifeboat situation. This is an obscure thing, but it's an interesting anti-social exercise to think of in your back of your mind here um, um, about uh, like, you know, which ones would you, which would be last on the list here if you couldn't, you know, uh, 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 save there? Um, and the answers to there are are either politically incorrect or antisocial here. And that's actually one of the things I like about the hermit types here. Um, um, and in a sense, I sort of have that inclination to it to some degree here. Uh, uh, and a lot of the great intellectuals, again, whether or not the low IQ, low, you know, whatever you want to use, politically correct or incorrect word you want to just describe them, would also be as happy as a good question here. But I think there's probably plenty of day laborers out there who work fairly alienated jobs, who don't talk to many people, who, you know, if you did a happiness test, uh, might be quite happy. I mean, there are relatively, you know, dirt, are Amish dirt farmers, and Tyler Cowan likes to bring these up, who on happiness surveys probably are happier than many billionaires. Um, and they're not all high IQ. They're just, you know, they're just out there Farming for uh you know uh potatoes or something like that, um um so that would be that would be my comment here. I do think there's an antisocial thing. Whether it's antisocial as described is also bad, is, is or non-virtuous or immoral is a good question here. Like I don't, like, I don't really think that you know you, you could ask the question like if if everyone's drowning and funny, you could just say that's an absurd question to ask. Uh, you could say, say that's. That that would be the that'd be the real thing here, but you know I you know there are people I don't want to spend time with, and you know most people have that viewpoint. There are people that they were forced to be with, would not be want to be with. Like so, if you had a marriage generator that randomly assigned people, there was a science fiction show that did that. I can't remember the name, but um, um that was one of the uh, things about it, and they wanted to increase the, they wanted they had to increase the fertility rate, and they wanted to increase the sort of randomness of the population or something like that. That was the goal of the thing. So that the machine would assign it. And many people didn't like the uh, the outcome of the assignment here of the random number generator AI. Um, so so I do I do think there are people you just don't really want to do it. You don't want to be around. Um, uh, or you only want them at to some point. It's like a, the dose is the poison here. So I think that's true for friends. I think that's true for family. I think demonstrated preference also kicks in. Where you have to look at what people do, not just what people say. That would be my comment. I do think it's true that that more is generally better. Uh, to just be a hoppy in there, 
but maybe not in all circumstances. What do you think, I think the last topic together here is, um, to what extent is being rich part of a good life or facilitate you living a good life? You mentioned sort of billionaires and you mentioned that, well, you mentioned that the Amish were happier than the billionaires. So do you, do you, do you think that uh, money uh, allows you to have a better life uh, or do you think it's better to be poor and live a good life? What do you reckon? I think I asked you on Facebook Messenger once if you thought asceticism, like a poor asceticism was good. And you said, no, it's not. So I don't know. Uh, you know, are these billionaires happy? Well, they have more social power. Like, you know, Bill Gates or the people who don't, the unnamed billionaires, as Keith Breston would talk about, you know, various members of Saudi royal family. They, they have more social power. They can sort of, unlike Ted Kaczynski, they can, in some degree, change the world. Um, they're not like... Uh, 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 to some degree, um, are they happier? I don't know. It's it's a good question. Like you know, it's interesting. That Marcus Aurelius, a very wealthy man at the time, a lot of power, was basically like wrote these Stoic tests, Stoic uh, texts, uh, which is a interesting thing. So, are people who have a lot of power uh, happier? I don't know. I mean, I guess it, there might be a selection effect of who gets that power. What would you reckon? You said asceticism is sort of silly. Um, why why would you say that and do you think the, do you think the wealthy are you know living a better life than than the uh poor well, i guess it's poor by choice versus poor by although you could if you take the will seriously there's no such thing as poor by choice but what would you say I do think the poor by choice uh, point is interesting, but let's leave that aside uh, for the moment. Uh, it's it's clearly that you need some material resources to live well. I mean, Aristotle was clear on that. I mean, um, the Stoics were wrong. I mean, if 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 you're um, in just the bottom of a well, like you're clearly not going to live a good life. I mean, you may be moral in certain ways, but I mean, it, it, you you're not going to be able to do what humans ought to do in in the most sort of um, develop sense so having money is clearly uh relevant i would also say that um being a billionaire or whatever it, it would you know would facilitate you to do that i mean all the stuff i would want to do i'd be able to do it much more easily and i think i would be happier if i was now that said with the power oh i'm going to turn into spider-man becomes great responsibility um, and whether or not that actually weighs on you and you're sort of less happy in certain ways is is, is a possible is possibly true um, and that might be true as well if you employ a lot of people and responsible for them. Um, I do think if anyone wants to play this experiment, I would very much appreciate it. If you were willing to give to give survey me and ask, and sort of my self reported happiness, and then give me a billion pounds, and then leave me for twenty years, and then come back and ask and sort of do the survey again, um, I'd be interested to see uh, what the result would be. Uh, but I would always be inter interested to see what I could do with a billion pounds. Um, I think I would be happier. Um, although again, I might, I might not. I mean, it might be lots of people want to want me to give them free stuff all the time. I, I imagine what I would need to do is to create some sort of, uh, application system that, okay, you want help with this. What is it for? Could you reasonably have done it yourself? Or can, can I get you a payback plan? I mean, it could be something like that. Cause I mean, uh, a good example of this as to why power is annoying was in Game of Thrones in the early seasons when Bran ends up being, um, for various reasons, at some point, the uh, the Lord of Winterfell and has loads of these people coming with their complaints and trying to get him to help. 
uh, use some of the the, the uh, sort of the lordships funds to help rebuild walls and things. So that could be really kind of, kind of quite annoying. But to the extent that I could essentially be anonymously rich, I think that would be. Um, I, I think I'd be happier um, if you choose to be an ascetic. In a way, that's better than just being poor because well, you just are. Um, but um, I think that being an ascetic kind of um, that takes a too low a view of um, the material world and also the value in human creation, which I think is deficient in certain ways. Um, so that said, though, whether self-report with the actual sort of people... Well, the thing is, if you choose to be an ascetic, to a large extent, you're probably relatively well off to go and choose to be one to begin with, I would expect. I doubt many people are really poor then decide to remain poor. It would seem to be a choice of someone who was richer and decided to be poorer. So I, I, I do think that would be uh, something to consider. Um, but Tim, do you think you'd be happier if you were richer, if you were super rich? Uh, I have no idea. I, I'll give the same answer um, uh, gave to the children in question. I have no idea. Uh, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to someone giving me that money. Um, the question is, like, I guess I could ask technical questions. Like, would it be a continuous supply or would it just be like a one-off thing that I had to sort of maintain and sort of get rid of? One off billion, just say say one off billion, just go boom billion dollars there. Uh, I think that all of Vanderbilt children within three generations ran out of money. Um, I think so. The entire Northeast Railroad fortune was basically quote unquote squandered. I don't know if they lived good lives. They probably lived. This goes back to the Zizak question here, which was asked, you know, in the Tim Dillon comment. I, 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 you know, not to sound like annoying, but like again, I don't think they would. I don't. I don't. Well, see, if everyone had a billion dollars, it wouldn't really be a billion dollars. It's a billion dollars as long as it's sort of a, a good to preclude others from also not having that thing, too. So, so, uh, uh, would I would I be happy? I I mean, telling the people who got the big the Bitcoin billionaires, they Bitcoin more like millionaires, um, the people got rich off Dogecoin and then sold it in time to get out. Um, I would imagine they're happy. They probably could pay off debts or they could buy themselves a house and start themselves on a firm footing. I, I don't see why those those reasons wouldn't make them. Um, so I think a comfortable amount of money, money does make people uh, more secure. But as Nassim Taleb points out, uh, uh, a comfortable amount of money means you have more liabilities here. Like, you know, the, you're more likely to get you get audited by the IRS. You could get you, there's lots, lots of bad things that could happen. More, you're part of. You're not part of the ruling class with a capital R, but you know you you do get you do get more liabilities here. Um, I I have some experience with aviation, and and one of the things that um one of the things I read was that like well, why why do you stop flying for airlines at a certain point and just was a, a flight instructor? He said, well, I got tired of flying four hundred being responsible for flying four hundred people around, uh, being responsible for it, um, even though it's it's no fault culture. And, you know, it's fairly automated and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's a sort of large responsibility there. And he just sort of, I got sort of sick of it. Uh, it's, I'd rather just teach random students here than uh, be responsible for that many people. So I don't know. Would I be happy if I had a billion? Probably. Probably. Um, but I do, I do think the, I do think the scarcity aim, um, 
I do think the scarcity aim here is relevant here in the sense that you want things that you don't always you want you want more you want things you don't have here um so i think looking at the, ch the people who got a billion is useful um and then and then and then trying to extrapolate your own view of how you would react in those situations here is interesting to do but it's it's like one of those it's like one of those hypotheticals where unless you're actually put into the trolley problem situation itself it's it's, it's unclear what actually you would you would would choose. I imagine there are people who may were made happier, uh, but 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 whether I would, I don't know. You'd have you'd have to you'd have to run the experiment to actually see. If, so if somebody wants to send me a billion dollars, please do. But otherwise, I would say probably yes. Swithin, what would you? No, as I say, I I think I would, but I I do think you you'd need a lot of discipline with a lot of money, especially with children. Um, because the children are brought up in luxurious surroundings, whether or not they would end up having direction or uh, sort of uh, the discipline that you have um, is probably somewhat lower, which, again, Ed Dutton mentions was one of the justifications for, like, the harsh boarding school and sending children away to them and boys from aristocratic, aristocratic families was to basically toughen them up and so that they wouldn't be as soft because they probably end up would end up being so if they were just lived with luxury from from birth and that was one of the the reasons they had such um such schools and harsh practices there but uh, I, 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 do... I know you have to get I know you have to get going shortly but do you think um do you think Zizek once made a comment that the left liberal version of utopia is roughly like something like lemonade? Uh, lemonade, soda, and pornography. Do you think that would be? Do you think that is correct? Uh, and do you think that is a also a? Do you think that's correct? That is, if you took if you took certain views of left liberal thinking seriously, and that includes certain capitalists, by the way, too, as well as utilitarians, of course. Um, do you think that is the view? And do you think that it's actually a good life? Like, if you just could be connected to a machine that would just feed you, like, feed your central nervous system with, like, uh. Uh, like positive feelings, you don't have to worry about eating, or you just fed you soda and various other base pleasures. Do you think that? Do you think that is the left for liberal vision of utopia? And do you think that would be a good life? I do think that would be uh, an accurate representation of what they think the good life is, and I wouldn't think it was. Uh, Robert Nozick has the experience machine, exper uh, thought experiment, and you kind of feel like you actually want to do something. You want to have purpose. You want to make an impact. You want to create and. Uh, again, with the social things, uh, one reason to have people around you is so that you, you can place yourself in the social hierarchy and uh, have an impact on the world in certain ways. And just by having free soda pornography and what well, yeah, the thing was, uh, you won't. Uh, and, and I think people would end up not liking their lives. But I do think that's a lot of sort of like left liberal, or you could say in general, just broadly liberal uh, views um th that that would kind of be the good life uh, so i i do think that's an accurate statement and i'd just like to thank everyone for listening if you enjoyed this podcast please share it with your friends and family and subscribe to us on Podbean on youtube the more subscribers get the higher we get in the search rankings and the better we feel about ourselves and if you'd like to contact the show for any reason at all please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com that's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com <laughs>